beautiful human. Thank you so much for letting us into your ears today. Grayson Chance is going to be hanging out with us in just a few. We have a brand new album to discuss with him. It's called Trophies. Plus, is he about to turn his hella iconic paparazzi moment into an NFT? What does he think of Ellen DeGeneres leaving? We have a lot to talk about. And yeah, we're going we're gonna to do it. But first, I got to ask you to share this podcast with those you care about. Subscribe and let us know who we should talk to next at Zach Sang Show on any form of social media. Here we go. Hello, beautiful human. Hello. I, uh, we, we think this thing is on. We're not really totally sure. Um, <laughs> but that's Dan. I'm yep. Zach. And we welcome Grayson Chance back to the studio. Hey. Thank you so much. You made it. It feels so good to be seeing you in person it, and to be here in real life. It is an honor to uh, just be in your energy, dude. I have uh, really, truly, one, we have a body of work to discuss. But two, mm-hmm. I really haven't seen you all like it's been too long and mm-hmm. every time i've seen you recently has been purely social purely fun yeah. uh, just making memories that still stick with me it's been too long the last time i saw you was after the el rey show yes where that was like such a it was such a monumental moment for me because i mean playing la is always really like nerve-wracking you know mm. and i never thought that i could play a venue that big in la and and we did it and then we ended up back at the house with like some really bad pizza with like eight of the people that I love the most. And I remember there was just bottles of Prosecco kind of going around. And I remember being exhausted. And I was like, this is this is the life of a pop star. This is it right here. And uh, that was a fun night, though. In that moment, do you want do you want that again? Absolutely. I, I miss it. Like it. And again, it feels just so surreal to even be back in town to even be like doing an interview because it's just been such a whirlwind blur of a year and a half, you know? A year and a half that for you has been mostly spent in Oklahoma. Yeah. Which, that's where you're from. You've always maintained residency there. Like, your idea is Oklahoma. Yeah. Well, I bought my first house last year, too. Um, So that was really cool. In Oklahoma. In Oklahoma, yeah. Um, But it it was funny because I remember ending 2019 and just sort of, doing like a mental recheck and, and saying, man, you know, I loved all the touring, but like that was a lot, right? We did like 118 shows that year. <laughs> and then I said, okay, I just need a little bit of a break. And then COVID started and it was sort of like, okay, maybe this is kind of nice. Like, you know, can kind of chill out for a second. And then it just kept on going and going and going. And I said, I'm, I'm losing my mind. Like I'm, I'm ready for something. What does Oklahoma give you outside of a project in buying a house, mm-hmm. which I mean, you buy a house. That's like the, I I will probably never own a home. So <laughs> the thought of that is such a wild thing. But I assume that there's work involved with it. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I Oklahoma for me. I mean, I've lived like I, I consider myself kind of a dual citizen. I mean, I spend a lot of time in L.A., but for me, it's like a point of inspiration. Right. Is I just feel so much more inspired there. And then I can actually feel in L.A. it's so easy to sort of just you. it's hard to think that you're cool here because there's a million and one other things happening that are so much cooler than you. So I think when I'm able to be back in Oklahoma, I'm I'm sort of like, okay, I'm still I'm doing some cool stuff like things are all right. And I just feel a sense of peace there. Does the art feel different in Oklahoma because like there is no comparison? Like what are you comparing yourself to in Oklahoma? Corn? There are buildings. It's a city. Um, it, you see it, that brick? Yeah, yeah. It's. I think the. I'm not. 
comparing myself to anybody there. And I think that's why I like it because I'm really able to sort of laser focus in. And, and at this point now too, you know, we, we just said hi to each other and, and it's like, I'm still here. <laughs> that, that's how I feel now. You know, it's been a, 11 years since I signed my first record deal. So even the fact that I have another body of work, I'm like, okay, <laughs> we're still here. We're still doing it. The you know, skin's still clear. It's, it's, we're good. We're good. That is like, it really is remarkable. And I was explaining to Blair and Sven, like, who you were, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, if you're going to go through the history of Grace and Chance, you have to start at the very beginning, mm-hmm. which is, you know, your mom and dad met. And then you ultimately waltz <laughs> out of the womb to play a Lady Gaga song. Uh-huh, literally. At your school. Mm-hmm. And that is 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they said that. They, they like... That's when I first met you. You guys met 11 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> maybe 10 I, at, at, at the least. In a weird way, you've like, in a few years, you will have known me for half of my life. That's, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so weird. Well, because the truth is you were one of the first viral sensations. Mm-hmm. You were one of the first viral anything. And when you look now, you see NFTs, you see all this yeah. stuff. Who owns the original version of that? It's video. funny. It's funny that you asked that because we in in like a past interview on on this cycle, they wanted to someone wanted to use a clip of it, and they said, "Well, who owns it? You know, we need to like do all these checks." It. And I'm like, I, "Me, me, right?" And and they did all the like they checked it all out, and yeah, I own the video. The NFT concept, non fungible mm-hmm. token, which is essentially the memorialization and mm-hmm. the, I mean artification i guess of a digital asset a digital viral culture moment should i turn that into an nft yes yes <laughs> mm-hmm. grayson i mean like when the time is right i mean i don't want to rush right. anything because like it's i mean it's it's accessible now to anybody mm-hmm. anybody can like search that and find it based off the way that tiktok is treating unfriend you which is one of my <laughs> early earlier day things i need to talk to ari and see if we can turn that video into an nft I mean, by the way, that was your first. Was that your second? That was like my yeah second single. And still haunted to it, or haunted by it in 2021. Wow. Are you haunted by the paparazzi video also? It. You know now. Now I actually think it's really cool. I for a long, long time was like never, never. I don't want to watch that. I don't want to see it. And then now I look back at it, and I'm. it, It feels like sort of new, and now it feels like so long ago where it's like. It, it's it's kind of cool to think about the start of things, but I'm not like going at home cooking pasta and like <laughs> let's <laughs> yeah. let's get on YouTube and search it out. Like that's not my vibe. But what do you feel when you see Unfriend You? Is it a different feeling? I I feel so confused thinking about how pe- people got paid to to put that together. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like now I'm thinking of I mean, can you imagine being on that set? Like just imagine being a gaffer, right? And like you're just kind of watching what's unfolding, and you're like, "This is really what we're doing today." Like th- this is the vibe. The only good part about that video is Ariana. She looks amazing. She looks great. And then there's like m- me. I'm popping Coca-Cola bottles, having like a day party with, you know, thirty teens. When I watched the video for the first time a few months ago, in like a long time, um, my love interest in the video like does a somersault at the party i was like this is outrageous this is crazy like imagine being that gaffer that is just like what like and 20 million people have watched it and 20 million people have watched it 
That's it? Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Link somewhere on the screen that video. Um, that is wild to think. And that, that, you know, what was the first single, though? Wasn't it? First single was Waiting Outside the Lines. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Classic. Wow. And I remember seeing you on the road with Miranda Cosgrove. Oh, yeah. Great show. Which she just posted on her Instagram. She was singing Shut Up, my song. Um, I saw that. And I was like, oh, my gosh. It was so crazy. Her and I experienced a, a good chunk of, or at least a good chunk of my childhood, was going on the road with her. Yeah, you did a whole summer together. Mm-hmm. I remember that show so vividly because it was just you behind a piano, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the well, I had a band, but it was a lot of acoustic stuff on that on that set. So good. Are you happy with how the past eleven years have played out, or would you change anything? This is this this is where these interviews just start to turn rapidly into a therapy session. <laughs> um, I. You know, I, I like to live in a sort of philosophy of I'm, I'm never trying to look back, right? But, you know, there is, well, and, and not trying to like now tie in the record that's coming up, but there was a lot of things that I had like dealt with during the pandemic that I actually realized that I'd not really ever had a moment to, to breathe, you know, from that paparazzi video to getting you know, back out on the road with portraits after going to college and, and always fighting to survive in the industry. That's what I've been doing the past 11 years. And the pandemic really brought up a lot of just me reconciling with the fact that I still did have kind of a lot of trauma from some things that happened to me as a kid, some of the things I had to go through in the industry. Um, and I really had to sort of stare that like right in the eye um, during the pandemic. And so I don't know if there are things that I would necessarily change in terms of the way that like I did or my actions, but there are things that I really, really wish didn't happen to me or that I could go back and sort of navigate around. Because um, just as much as the industry sort of embraced me in the beginning, it like chewed me up and spat me out quickly you, after two. Do you feel like the cards are stacked against you? I think the cards are stacked against any any artist that has that big of a of a starting moment yeah because how do you follow it up right and even if you do follow it up with something super successful it's always going to be compared numbers wise to Mm -hmm. well this video got x amount or whatever so you're immediately already kind of deemed as well it wasn't as good as this so i think it it was sort of that and you know also too it's like the opportunity that I was given when I was 12 was an opportunity that artists work, you know, their entire life to get. And so I was just thrown into it. So maybe ready? a little, I, no, no, no way at all. Um, and, and again, so now looking back, I'm kind of surprised and proud of myself for being able to handle it as, you know, I think sort of seamlessly as I did and my family too. I, yeah. Tremendous. Because mm-hmm. it was everybody. Like, I remember meeting your dad the first yeah. time, meeting your mom on the road. Yeah. I mean, it. you know, that, some a moment like that, especially so early on where there's not a lot to compare it to, mm-hmm. right, in terms of, like, other people who just happen to post a video onto YouTube mm-hmm. and to, like, literally change their life. Like, I remember it was, like, the hide your kids, hide your wife lady. Yeah. And then there was you. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is, like, crazy to think about. <laughs> uh, but, like... Yeah, like you hit you all, your whole family's affected by that mm-hmm. pretty instantaneously. If you can go back in time, would you have still signed the deal with Enderscope, which essentially gave you like unfriend you and 
you know, all, all the, the first single, the whole thing. I think if I could go back, I, I think I would have pressed pause for a second. Like, I wish I could have gone on the show, like gone on Ellen, mm-hmm. had the video out, and I wish we could have sort of taken more time to really kind of have some conversations over, okay, what is going to be the best sort of deal? What even are these deals? Like, what is industry norm? Like, all all of those things, and really kind of have a second to think about what I wanted to do, but it was just instantaneous. You know, I, I got my first record deal the day I was on Ellen. I mean, it was like, here's the record label, here's your manager, here's your agent. I mean, everyone was there. And it was handed to you. Yeah. But you and your family, you just have no idea what these people are telling you. You're not in the entertainment industry. Yeah. You're just signing whatever they're saying. You're like, oh, I'm a little kid who's getting a record deal. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah, 1,000 percent. And you know, to my parents' credit, though, too, I, I do remember conversations of, you know, do you actually want to do this? I do remember that. And at at the time, the the train of thought was we would be so stupid not to. Mm-hmm. And I knew that down deep down too, even at twelve. Um, but yeah, just some more time to kind of think about it and, and think in the way that it would change my life. Um, you know, but also I was 12. So who knows if I would have even been able to wrap my head around all of that at the time. The fact that you're sitting here today and you have a new body work, another one. Do you feel like you prove people wrong? I, I want to feel that. Like, I, I wish I I could go to bed at night going, yeah, I've I've proved all of those naysayers, all those people who said, you know, you're dead in the water. You're never going to live past that video but I think that's kind of more of an internal conflict for me is I'm always feeling as if I have to um outdo my my past self or you know portraits for example was the record where everybody said wow you guys actually did it you know Mm -hmm. you are taken seriously now as a musician with this body of work yeah and selling out rooms and then it's like okay now you got to follow it up and so I'm. I, I wish I could feel that way, but I don't. I don't know if I necessarily do. Well, but it, the journey's never over. You yeah. Know? Like the releases don't stop coming, and yeah. with every new release, you there's pressure, right? Because mm-hmm. to your point, you're always going to be compared to what you did before. Yeah, and and too, like it, it's weird because I used to always be the youngest kid on the block. Not the case anymore. <laughs> Homeboys growing up. Dude, I'm still only 23, but. Like that's crazy. That and pop music. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I might as well be eighty-eight, dude. This, <laughs> I mean, the cycles of culture that have uh-huh. happened yeah. since you came on the scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, has been extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Platform shifts, musical shifts. I, I mean, so much has changed since the mm-hmm. beginning. That's, ins- I mean, I think about it sometimes, but it really is wild to wrap your mind around. Yeah. Do you feel like last question about? this whole Ellen thing, do you feel like you've finally broken that label of, oh, the kid from the Ellen show? Do you finally figure out you're in a place where people just see you as Grace and Chance? I, I think so. I and What was interesting, too, is like, you know, going out and playing that tour in 2019, I, I would meet, like, fans who would be like, oh, we didn't even really know that that was you. We found the record on, you know, whatever streaming service and we really liked it, so we bought a ticket. So that was kind of reassuring to be like okay maybe I have you know kind of shed that a bit um but I know that I will always get asked about it um until I'm literally 88 you know <laughs> or until you sell the nft and you make a boatload of money on yeah. it and then you're like I don't own it anymore uh-huh. you talk to the guy I'm gonna start it. doing research into that after this interview yeah I do you know thinking about it you might have to clear it with uh Stephanie Germanata aka uh-huh. Lady Gaga 
But uh, you okay, know? hold on. Let me. Just... Yeah, <laughs> can you uh, just drop her a line? Thanks. Oh, she's she's busy right now. Oh, still in Italy. I okay. Get it. okay. Okay. She's actually not in Italy anymore. Was she in West? I saw she was in West Hollywood dancing with people on the streets. Mm-hmm. It's pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. We have a body of work. That is the real yeah. reason why we're here today. I don't even know the name of it because trophies. It's, you know, it's so weird. I've been listening to the box link that I got, yeah. which is like a very like. <laughs> Some say, like, clean. Uh-huh. Some say, like, there's all, like, different labels on it. Yeah. So I didn't want to just jump the gun uh-huh. and uh, claim a name without really fully knowing. It is called Trophies. What does that mean? Are these songs trophies? So the idea all started, um, you know, after after Portraits, I remember I went back into the studio and just felt really lost. I didn't even really know what I wanted to do next. I didn't know you know, where I sort of wanted to go sonically. And once the, at that beginning point, since the music wasn't really inspiring me or really like driving the ship, I was like, okay, I'm going to look around to other mediums. And so I became really obsessed with this photographer named Robert Eggleston. And and he had this one particular photo. It's like of a jukebox and there's a few different trophies on it. And I was just, for some reason, like weeks and weeks would go by and I was staring at this picture, just looking at it, sort of analyzing it. And I thought that a trophy was such an interesting object to me because you could have this super elaborate, super beautiful, you know, thing that's gold plated a whole nine yards. Right. But it's all about the fine print. Like it could still say ninth place runner up. <laughs> and I thought that was so interesting. And, and I looked through a lot more of his photographs. And eventually what happened is it became this sort of idea of wanting to show people that I was maybe not the trophy that they thought I was. That maybe some nights the fine print is way worse than I would ever want it to be. Um, So I became sort of obsessed with that. And then the music just kind of followed. And and it's weird. I was like on, on the way here today, I was thinking about, you know, even just talking about the inspiration behind the songs and, and sort of meanings and, and all of it. And, it's just interesting how for me, I, I write all of this music and it's not really until it's complete and I look back and start listening where I notice the thread and I notice that, oh, this is what this chunk of music is about and this is what it's going to signify in my life. Um, and I've always just thought that's kind of interesting. So does the idea for Trophy start it or does it come afterwards? Wait, what do you mean? Like, do you know that you want to name this tro- th- this body work trophies? Are you inspired by the thought of trophies before you start creating, while you're creating, after? It was very much so. It was weird. Yeah, for this, it was like before I even had a song, I was like, this is trophies. the headspace that I want to stay in. This is what it's going to be called. Um, are, you, and- are you sending messages to different people? Because you're essentially saying, like, you're not, uh, you are not yeah. the trophy that this person really thinks you are or yeah. assumes you are. Mm-hmm. I'm saying it, I think, to the the love of my life now. I think I'm also saying it to a lot of, you know, sort of my past relationships. And I also think I'm saying it, like, generally to my fans, to to the public. I think it's a lot of, it's maybe not as, as pretty as it seems. Got it. Just because, yeah, it's a big shiny gold thing, mm-hmm. fine print could tell a whole different story. Mm-hmm. And everybody, and that's tro- the end. Well, that's the end of the interview. Well, then there's participation <laughs> trophies. You know, everybody gets one sometimes. That's true, and and that they, they should take that away. Yeah, should only get one if you win. For I'm just kidding. <laughs> this album. When do you start making it? Um, 
it so and and equally to what was interesting about this body of work is it I, this one was not easy i mean it went through iteration after iteration after iteration did i hear some of this music in 2019 you yeah i mean I we thought so. i had i had like an album yeah. ready like <laughs> kind of around the pandemic and then i listened to it and i said nope scrap all that let's start over and then it was originally going to come out in the fall of 2020 and then i heard all that and i said nope scrap it so it, it has gone through multiple multiple um iterations and um and that's why sometimes my team loves me so much and then they hate me so much too. Are you taking the same songs and reworking them or are you starting from zero every time? Um, it really, for me, I didn't realize until it was like maybe September of 2020. Hmm. I had realized the issue was I was I was trying to write everything to sort of please other entities that were not myself. And I had to get out of that headspace. Um, because, you know, also behind the scenes too, I just signed again to a, a major label. So there was kind of that pressure that wasn't forced on me, but I think I felt it myself. And then I was just realizing that the music wasn't really hitting me like portraits hit me. And that was really freaking me out and scaring me because I was writing it all, but it, it didn't, it didn't have that edge to me that I really, really enjoy. And, and also too, that I think is like necessary for me to survive now as a musician with my past. And I, yeah, it was once I removed all of that pressure and I realized that the, the whole thing came together probably in like three weeks. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So you really make music for like a year and a half, two years. Yeah. When does the three weeks begin? That was around September, October of 2020. Okay. So fall, like recent. Yeah. yeah. And when do you finish it? Mm -hmm. And it got finished, I would say around February. Do you use the same people you were working with before? Or do you have to call in new collaborators? For for the most part, um, I, there were Nashville had a lot more of an influence on this um, on this record than than portraits. I didn't write any portraits in Nashville, um, but there was something about it's a ten hour drive from Oklahoma City to Nashville. I love driving, um, and so there was something so freeing about hopping in my car, especially kind of during the pandemic. Mm. Because it was just sort of like, I mean, the whole country was kind of in a weird, nomadic, strange space. And I just went on that drive probably like four times. Um, yeah. And and just felt inspired and, and was writing stuff in Nashville. And working with different people than you were working with here in L.A. Because yeah. here in L.A., I remember you were working with Uffy, you were working yeah. with Teddy. Yeah. Did they make it on this body work at all? No. Wow. Yeah. So this is really... Or, no, one song, one song. Which one? Uh, Holy Feeling. Oh. Are you connecting God to sexual acts uh -huh. in that record? <laughs> that's what it sounds like as a man who's read the Bible. Um, I, That song is is a song that I've, I've actually really wanted to write for a long time. And I didn't know what was going to be the proper way to sort of express it. Um, and Why I'm going to... you want to write that? How, like, what, what, what goes down? I, I wanted to write something a bit about... You have to understand Oklahoma is like there are religious places and then there's Oklahoma. <laughs> and, you know, it was less about it was me sort of wanting to make a statement um, to just kind of a lot of people in my life, a lot of family, actually, where it was just getting to a point where I was saying you're so not focused on the present anymore. 
you're so you're thinking too lofty it's it's always about this sort of end picture and and i'm right here looking you in the eye and so that was really kind of my way to say i I don't know to be more present to not be so focused on this what's happening after life be or or, yeah be focused on what's happening during your life right now um and so that's that song and in the process it is uh why like could you have made that song with any other collaborators or did you need those two I, I needed those two, and then I also needed El Paso. We did that song at Sonic Ranch, okay, um, which is this amazing, amazing studio complex in El Paso. It's on a, um, a pecan farm, very, very close <laughs> to the border. Bon Iver did his last record there. Beach House has worked. Every band like since the 1970s has worked there, and it has this very, very sort of... Um, I mean, it's just it's, it's a place that has every essence that you could possibly imagine. And it feels very sort of uh, just inspiring there to be there and to be like you're living kind of in the studio as well. Mm -hmm. And so there's no way to escape sort of deep and vulnerable things that you want to talk about that maybe you would have been afraid to talk about in a studio in L.A. So is that how you end up connecting really? Because there is like Mm -hmm. very obvious connections to things Mm -hmm. you do in practicing religion Mm -hmm. to sexual acts, Mm -hmm. you know, like you must be vulnerable. Do you repent? I don't I don't know if I think the connection that you're talking about I don't know if that one exists okay. for the song but now I'm now I'm kind of like I I wish I was that smart <laughs> in the studio Okay I'm going to send you a body of holy water <laughs> I mean I I need a lake of holy water at this point <laughs> I did notice that in the two first singles Holy Feeling and uh, Hellboy mm-hmm. you I think they're different meanings but you talk mm-hmm. about being brought to your knees Yeah well, Hellboy is way more... Hellboy is the sex song. Yeah, have me for dessert, I'll have you on your knees. Yeah. Take me out to dinner first, Dan. Hey, I'm a little straightforward sometimes. <laughs> uh-huh. Those uh, And there was intention behind having those as the first two singles. I really wanted that contrast. And and I, the label didn't want that at all. Why? Uh, they, they were like, it's too, it's too much of a 180. It doesn't make sense. It's, you're coming out of this record and going on to the next. And it, it's, it's too all over the place. And I said, well, the, the trophies has a lot of range. And let's show that. And I liked this sort of dichotomy of you have holy feeling, which feels really sort of pure in a way. And then, yeah, let's go to Hellboy. Like, let's, let's show the other side of, of the record and kind of how much range is going to be on, on this EP. Let's take that stripper pole down to hell with a little Nas X and exactly. work on the devil's... Exactly. Well, then, I mean, I love him to pieces, but that song came out two weeks and then Hellboy drops. So, of course, gay Twitter was just like, oh, <laughs> no, we see, what, we see what you did. And I was like, I wish that we could have pulled that off. Can you imagine two weeks? No. I, I listened to the little Nas record and I'm like, oh, yeah, let's go in the studio. Let's record it. Let's get the video together. I was like, oh, man, you know. Do you hate that those parallels could even be made? I mean, yeah, but I get it. I understand it. it it's been interesting, too. So also during the pandemic, I've, um, I've, my boyfriend and I just celebrated our one-year anniversary. Mazel tov. Thank you so much. Um, but what I think he's learned from being together this long is he's, he loves to sort of look at his favorite artist, and he's like, oh, this is intentional, and you can tell that they put this little hint here and it sort of calls back to this. And I'm like, maybe, I don't know. Most, most artists, like, I, I don't know. 
it's it's usually just sort of coincidental and all these parallels that are that are drawn and things. I think it's just fans really like to kind of go out there and, and draw whatever lines they can, yeah. you know? And, and people like the story, you mm-hmm. know? Like, what, what what do you think the show exists for? Yeah, you know? yeah, 1,000%. That exact stuff. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you make music different now that you're in love? And is it weird to admit that so confidently? Yeah, I'm... I mean, it, it, what's weird is, too, it's so cliche, but when you know, you know. And I... How did you know? Well, I was about to say, and I thought I knew, <laughs> but then, because last time I was here, we were talking about a completely different story. Um, it, it's just that, like, feeling where I, I like, can't, I can't explain it. I feel so a part of him, and he feels so a part of me now, too. And it's truly like I wake up in the morning, and I don't want to live life without him. Like that just sounds like a crummy life to oh, me. Tell and us that's what, that's, of, what that's like. That's it's really nice, but it can also be really frustrating too. Like you, a a large part of the inspiration behind trophies as well was, I realized that I don't know if basically our relationship in terms of thinking about love was like a huge inspiration behind behind the record. What was more inspiring was this newfound sense of fear that I had that I was going to lose it. Mm. And that's what I wrote about a lot on trophies. And that was very interesting and unique to me because I never felt that emotion before. Does the fear of losing the love make you a better partner? I, I don't know. I think it can actually get really unhealthy because if you're constantly in your head thinking like I'm, I need to be, I mean, you should always try to be the best for your partner. But if you're constantly thinking of I need to be perfect all the time because I might lose them, then I think that could be really, really bad. But I mean, maybe like a little healthy fear is probably good. Do you think the pandemic is the reason why you're in this relationship and it's as healthy as it is and as thick and intense as it is? Yeah. And I mean, also, too, I mean, the luxury with him and I was, you know, I wasn't able to like if I had been on tour. Mm -hmm. I mean, how could how could that have started? We had eight months to sit together. And to really, really get to know each other. And I've not had a, a chunk of time like that in, I, I can't remember, you know. And so it, it was really, really helpful. But I mean, also as well, like the pandemic for me was really, really tough um, because it was such a lifestyle change. I, I was looking at myself in the mirror, you know, during it and, and after being on the road for so long in 2019 and finally having this moment in music where I'm like, okay, I got I got it together now. Things are good. And now nothing. And then now nothing. And and I was just looking at myself in the mirror and I didn't even know like what my purpose really was anymore. Well, and that's so interesting because the truth is like you should have been doing festivals. Like you mm-hmm. were coming off of such, yeah. such, such, such a hot moment with mm-hmm. portraits. But we're doing it again with trophies. Yeah. And, and again, too, like, you know what what's cool about this record now and and moving into the next cycle is i don't feel like i was really nervous that i was going to start getting on stage again and and almost be like whoa i don't know how to do this anymore like i kind of lost it and it it truly is like riding a bike you get back on it and and it feels so genuine and and good again um and so i'm i'm glad that that has happened but yeah we're doing it again but you know we'll we'll see i'll see you on the next on the next record oh. <laughs> And I'll be there in uh-huh. the theater watching you on stage. You're one of the most incredible performers mm. I've ever seen. You leave Thanks. every bit of it yourself up there. Thanks. You share yourself completely and totally. Really incredible. Thank you. The vocals, 
you go really high. Mm-hmm. Your falsetto is like on full mm-hmm. display. Mm-hmm. That's a choice. That's a choice and one that, I mean, it, it's cool now because when my voice changed, I really, I had to take a few years to really sort of figure some things out. And then I I almost feel a little bit like this on portraits, but this was really like my first time going into the studio and writing where I was like, oh, I know how this works now. Mm. I know every sort of part of it because I don't think your voice actually settles until you're like 23 or, or 24. Um, well, your voice is naturally so deep. I guess that's true, right? I mean, right now. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> uh, I But also, too, what you on the record, I'm, I'm also doing the low octave you stuff, too. Yeah. You know how your voice works, so you know how to apply mm-hmm. it. Are you afraid to duplicate that on stage? Well, now I am. Okay. Yeah. Don't think about <laughs> it. Like that real, real deep part. It's like the chorus of uh-huh. Hellboy. Uh-huh. Yeah. How- Hands tied, bite your lip, green light, flip and twist, dark magic, red boot kick. I think it could even, hands tied, bite your lip, green light, flip <laughs> and twist. You know how many times oh, we God. did that in the studio? Drove those guys crazy in Nashville because they don't work past 6 p.m. Oh, it's a 9 to 5 or type thing. It's oh, like... and how boring is that? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Go back to the hotel? No. That's how adults work. Yeah, I hate that. What no. was so hard about that song? Was it getting it deep or is it the flow of it? It's because, like, uh, God bless Billie Eilish for having that documentary and really showing people, like, this is what vocal production is. Because it's it's literally once you've been doing it for so long, you know that you can have a take that that's good and that will work. But then you're looking at those waveforms and you're like, hold on, let me let me do one more time. And then in Nashville, they're like, well, yeah, so it's midnight. And you said that like eight hours ago and my my dog needs to be fed and I have a kid and I need to get home. And I'm like, well, that sucks. You shouldn't be in music then. Let's go again. <laughs> that's the answer. Come on. Just kidding. No, no, no one was neglected making this record. <laughs> it's interesting that like as vocals take taken on like a new role in your process now that you can do things with your voice that you maybe couldn't have done before. I think so. It, it it's it's funny too. It, there's no like real thread of consciousness in the studio. I know that sounds so absurd and so crazy, no, but it's truly just following what is feeling so right and so good at that moment and that it takes a long time to be able to actually trust your instinct in the studio um and it takes like years of just going in and experimenting and throwing things on the wall but again too it almost feels like you you go into the room and you don't really have the conscious thought until you're back in your car driving back listening to the demo and then you're sort of like okay maybe we could change x y and z but this is this was the first sort of iteration and the first like try at it you know who are you singing to in hands hands is basically every sort of um adolescent like high school roman basically any time that i was in love with a straight boy (laughs) that was that was sort of um, an open note to them which is something that really doesn't get talked about i think in in a lot of like um i don't know a lot of sort of queer culture but there's this, I don't know, I don't want to play like too big of a victim card here, but there, there's a certain tendency, I think, sometimes amongst like straight men, or at least this was my experience in high school, where they, they like to know that they're, that they're adored or that they're, you know, hot or whatever. And so they almost like kind of pull along 
mm-hmm. um, gays or queer people. And then the second that that person expresses anything that's sort of romantic, it's like, oh, never. No, no, no. I don't do that. And it's like, well, why did you say I look so beautiful tonight then? Or why did you put your arm around my hip or waist or something like that, you know? So I really wanted to sort of, I had like all of these stories in my head and times where I kind of had to break my own heart as like a 15, 16 year old. And so this is like my kind of letter to all those people. Felt and understood. Mm -hmm. How do you get to a place where that even creeps back into your life? Mm -hmm. Wait, what do you mean? Like, do you sit down and think to yourself, there's unfinished business here? Got you, got you. No, I had a dream actually. Oh. about about a particular person and then that's when I wrote hands like a, a week later I remember journaling about it and saying this is really weird and then I kind of wrote again about like now having some time to look back at my adolescent self and I was like no that actually really was messed up like you weren't you weren't crazy to think what you were thinking because of xyz and because of what he said and all these things and then I remember like a week later in the studio I was like, oh, wait, 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 I think I have something I want to talk about. Is that what people say, like, consider when they say queer baiting? Yes, I was mm-hmm. just going to use that. Yeah, us. yeah, 1,000%. And it and happens like, all the time. And by the way, I have no comment. Yeah. Continue. Yeah, well, I'm. It, it's like, it's kind of just, it's gross. And I also think, too, like, you can do not treat people like an experiment. Don't don't just assume that it's, like, okay to do that because you're you're trying to figure your own self out. Because for for that queer kid, this is like this is this is maybe love. This is maybe the thing that we always thought we weren't allowed to maybe have or or not even be a part of. So it's like don't mess around with that. Also, get your hands off me. <laughs> get out of here. What is high waisted love? High waisted love is again talking about. So I feel like high waisted, um, and there's a song called Nobody on the record as well. Those, I think, are sister songs in the way that they are, again, really directly talking about the fear of, like, if it if it were to end, what would it, what would be the emotions after that? Would I think it was, in High Wasted, I'm saying, you were too tight on us. You were too constricting of it. Mm. And then in Nobody, I'm saying, man, but no no one knows how to operate me like like you did. Does that make sense? So even though it was strangling, it was... Right. Maybe, maybe. I think they're like period statements, though. So I think high-waisted is like one thought, and then nobody's a completely different other thought, but maybe in the same, like, breakup scenario. Do you experience high-waisted love, and then you have to write about it? No, I I, th- I think it was me envisioning an end, to or a, a potential end of the relationship I was in now. Is it hard to play a song like that for somebody you're currently in love with? We we had to work on it. We we had to like because I think he felt as if whenever I would play him music, I think he would almost be like, "You don't have to play it for me because it it might be a little too personal." Or he's like, "I feel like I'm like almost reading your diary," mm. and I'm like, "Totally," but also the whole world's gonna hear it. <laughs> so so you might you might want to listen. But then I've also had to explain to him because there were other songs that kind of happened where they might not have a direct like inspiration from us but I may or may not be talking about a relationship or something. Sometimes you're in the studio too and it's nice to just take on a character and to write something that actually has nothing to do with you. But um, is this album from that vantage no, point? No, not, yeah. not at all. But there there have been some songs where he's like, oh, 
well, what does that mean? I'm like, no, no, that's this one's not this one's not about you, babes. This this one's okay, you know. Whether you mean it or not. Yeah, his what is funny though. So I'm doing uh, Oklahoma City Pride on June 25th, which is going to be amazing. You're definitely but, the most famous gay in Oklahoma. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who else you got. We can Google gays yeah. in Oklahoma. <laughs> Seven of them. Kristen Chenoweth is an honorary gay. Oh yeah. Oh you know? yeah. Yeah. Oh my. God. Yeah. yeah. So she. So she. She might be it. She's a blessing. Uh huh. But I'm you're nervous. A, you're Nicole number two. Keep going. Okay, cool. I'm nervous because his uh, his parents, that will be the first show that they see. And you've met these parents before. Oh, yeah, yeah. Have a really good thing with them. Is your shirt going to come off in this show? Um, Probably. I mean, it's just like you it never you never know what might happen on. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen on stage. But do you perform differently knowing that his parents are there No, watching? no, I, I, I can't. Like, I, and I, and I won't, but it is just like. It is sort of interesting to know that we're going to have to be at a Sunday night dinner after after that gig. And I'm going to be like, hey, so when I said this, that, and this, I said that because truly it's really actually inspiring <laughs> to the to the kids. And um, it's more of a, a sort of a metaphor on, on this bigger thing. And then I'll just start talking about that Robert Eggleston <laughs> picture to maybe look like educated. It's just scary. Or it's like it really all started because I was obsessed with this photo. They definitely probably think I'm crazy. You have? Do you have them over for dinner at your new house? I do. Yeah, yeah. You host them? Oh, yeah, for sure. And have, then have they met your parents? They've met my parents. Like it's it's a it's a full full thing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. This is what we should have been doing during a pandemic. We should have been finding love. Yeah, it didn't happen for mm-hmm. us. You should have been forcing yourself upon somebody for eight months straight. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. convinced that you you two like will turn like seventy. And then you'll look at each other and you'll be like, you know, we've been doing it for this long. Grace and I can promise you that will uh-huh. never happen. It won't happen? Okay. <laughs> okay. I appreciate the positivity. Okay, okay. Whatever you say, whatever you say. <laughs> oh, my God. If that is where my life goes, mm-hmm. I've done so much wrong. <laughs> Don't say that about Dan. You would be so lucky. I appreciate that. Uh-huh. Yes. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. See you guys when you're 70. Yeah. Uh, We make it that far. Mm -hmm. I know. I know. After this past year and a half, I'm like, gosh. The greatest curse Uh would be to make it with Dan until I'm 70. (laughs) Just imagine if me and Mm -hmm. Zach were just still sitting in these chairs. and You haven't moved. 40, 50 years talking to people. Uh The truth is, it's probably what we're going (laughs) to do. Question about nobody. Actually, it's Uh not a question. It's just a compliment. Uh That's the song where you say, here's my singing. God damn. Uh-huh. Love it. Thanks. Love Thanks. it. Love Thank it. Thank you so much. That's all I have to say about that one. That's the question? Was uh-huh. you singing? Yeah. Well, it was a compliment. I'm into that. I, I told him it was a compliment. I'm into that. I like the part at the end where it kind of like the guitar hits at the same uh-huh. time. It's one of those parts of the song you're just like, yep. That was another Nashville. That was another Nashville one. Shout out Nashville. Mm-hmm. What time was that done? Like 3 p.m.? I don't think we went super late that day. I definitely pushed them. It was definitely like 8 p.m. I mean, these people are trying to leave at five. I'm telling you, it's outrageous. It's a different life there. I know it really is. Is that why some people was only a minute? Did you guys have not didn't have time to finish it? <laughs> that was um, that was just uh, no. That was that was an artistic statement. That was just very much so. You um, speaking of Chris Martin, the first Coldplay album um, was Parachutes was my first CD that I've ever bought, and the title song 
on that album is I think maybe a minute, 10 seconds. Um, and it's brilliant. And I was listening to that on a drive to Nashville. And I said, I, I want to do something like that. What role do you feel like that song played in that album? I think that's what's cool is that I, I don't know, again, who's talking about like conscious and non-conscious thoughts. I think they put that on there because they really liked it and they probably just really loved the way that it fit and, and the place that it did. And, and I'm sure maybe the lyric has a significant meaning, but whether a song is four minutes long or, or a minute, if it packs a punch, it packs a punch, you know? I love O Violet. Thanks. Layers of sun, layers of moon. I love that mm-hmm. metaphor for like days, right? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. like in time. Yeah. So exquisite. Yeah. How does that song begin? That so I wrote that with Jason Reeves, but um, and I'm I hope and I don't think Jason would be offended by by me saying this, but that was like, I, I mean every word of that came from me. Um, I mean there was no it, it was me literally just sitting in a corner just kind of sprawling things down on a notebook, and I think that was at a time where I really wanted to not only show people that I could really, really sing, like because I really wanted to, like you've said, you know, kind of show this new layer of my voice and, and say I can really go there. But I really just wanted to make something that was just standalone and and, and kind of beautiful as as much as we, we could make it. You know, I didn't want it to have a lot of any chaos in the production or any, I just kind of wanted it to just be really pretty. Um, and yeah, that, that whole song is is kind of a love letter to... Um, to LOML, love of my life, <laughs> and and me just basically saying that we found this space in between us. I have a really bad temper, um, so that's why there's the I'm mad like crimson, you're sweet like blue. We found the space between us too, oh violet. Just nice little sort of love song. That's very smart. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, thanks, thanks. Mm-hmm. And crimson comes from Oklahoma too, because um, OU, you know, crimson pride. Yeah. Are you afraid that, like, I mean, you are afraid of losing the love of your life. Like, even saying that mm-hmm. and giving that title to another person, knowing that it could f- be fleeting. Mm-hmm. Like, I get, I get Ajita. But again, too, that that was so much of the inspiration behind the album. this one. And the way that I close it out, too, that last song closed. Like, um, time and time it always ends, burn the house down. Or wait, no. Time and time, the way it goes, tear the house down, burn the clothes. Um, just the, thinking of this idea of, you know, the boxes that he brought over when he moved in and what would happen in this sense. And like, yeah, I, again, like this has been the first time where I I really, this is my guy, this is my person. And so, of course, the crazy artistic brain side of me and what I've gone through in, in my life I'm like okay well everything has been fleeting in my life yeah. thus far they're your person until you're they're not yeah and so I kind of just wrote a lot about that it's also you ended the album with a, or the EP album or EP so it's technically an EP but I will to anybody listening to collect eight songs and to get them together and to put them together and make sure that everybody signs off on them I, this is an album <laughs> to me at least <laughs> my if the way that my back feels now after this this record this is an album but i guess it's technically an ep well you end it with clothes mm-hmm. it's like you're closing the album but it's spelled clothes like yeah did you do that on purpose no but now i'm gonna say i did <laughs> uh-huh. are you telling a story top to bottom with this um i don't think so i don't think it's a i, I think it is a story but i don't necessarily think it's like you 
I don't, I'm not sure necessarily that it's like split up into chapters or into sort of like, you know, all the way through. But I do think the the story for me is just exploration of, you know, my, my life during this, this crazy time in the world. It's my exploration of having this fear of these great, amazing things in my life and whether or not they're fleeting. Um, and again, too, being, being 23 in Oklahoma and, and living the life that I'm living. I said the same thing with portraits. If you want to know what's happening in my world, play the record. What is success for you with this album? Honestly, at this point now, and like doing it for 11 years, it, it is just such a success for me to just be releasing things and to still be here. And for me, I think I'm very, very proud of this music. There's so many parts of my career where I look back and I really had to like bite my tongue and just get through it. And I really didn't feel connected to the music. So I'm for me, this thing is already successful. I wrote it. I love it. And now I'm sharing it with the world that that's like perfect. And I mean, I hope somebody buys it. You know, that would be nice. Or to, buys tickets to see you play yeah, live. Yeah, or, nice. or that as well. I got a mortgage to pay now, you know? <laughs> yeah, in Oklahoma. Uh, in Oklahoma. Yeah. Man, your property must be so much nicer than whatever you would have bought out here in Los Angeles. You don't know that, Dan. I just assume the prices in Oklahoma aren't as bad as they are here. Yeah, it's pretty nice. <laughs> it's pretty nice. Are you, uh, you going to say something? That's a different way of life out there. You know, I'm very jealous. Well, you you say that, but then Oklahoma so has this reputation, and I know you've you've been a few different times, right? I, I, I've never been to Oklahoma, but I've been oh. to Kansas. I've been to Missouri, been to Illinois, but like not Chicago, Illinois. Uh-huh. I've been to like uh, been to Iowa, mm-hmm. been to Omaha. Uh, Oklahoma City is like a smaller Austin. Oh, okay, okay. That's the way that I could describe it. So OKC is cool, but uh-huh. like, where's Hooker? Where's Hooker at? Oh yeah, I don't know. I've lived in Oklahoma my entire life, and still to this day, people will be like, oh, man, I have family in so-and-so. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the eastern part of the state. And they're like, no, it's actually the furthest north. <laughs> it's on the border of Kansas. And I'm like, oh. Well, that's where Hooker is. Interesting. Probably. It's on the border of Kansas. You know, I've, I was at one point trying to persuade you to run for governor of the great state of Oklahoma. There's still time. That's right. Zach wants to run for governor of New Jersey. Uh-huh. I'm going to run for governor of New Jersey. There's a difference. <laughs> I was about to say you have some big shoes to fill because it wasn't Chris Christie governor. Yeah. Of, well, yeah. Phil Murphy has done a mm-hmm. great job. Okay. Okay, good. He's done a fantastic job. But I know you you hit the campaign trail in Oklahoma. You were on the ground for candidates. I I try to stay as, as active as I can in, in Oklahoma. What I think Oklahoma could teach the rest of the states um, is what is that things start locally like we have medicinal marijuana in Oklahoma and this happened like three or four years ago we were one of the first in the region and people are like whoa that's that's so weird how, how did that happen local people in the urban centers went out they got petitions they got it on the ballot um, it went through a whole legal circus because they tried to block it they got more signatures got back on the ballot and it passed and so like the thing in in Oklahoma City is that you know you're you're in a conservative place, but in the city, people are very progressive and they want they want a good community and they want a sustainable community. So we knock doors, we get signatures, and do all that. What is next for Oklahoma? What do you want to see? Oh man, so much! But I think what what's cool is so this this Pride gig is actually really really monumental. 
um, because there, there's been pride celebrations in Oklahoma in the past or in the city in the past, but this is the first time that the city itself is really, really acknowledging pride and really putting a lot of steam behind it. Um, so I'm playing, the venue is downtown Oklahoma City at this really, really beautiful amphitheater. Um, and it's it's just going to be amazing to know that because I didn't have that when I was a kid. So to be able to look out at this next generation of, of queer youth in Oklahoma and to be able to say it's different now here, that's going to be so special. Yeah, that's can change a lot of lives. Yeah, should come stage. out for the show. When is it? June 25th. Okay. No, you're busy. No, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm running it down. I need to pay a trip to Missouri. So uh-huh. while I'm over there in the Midwest, I think I can hop Why on a quick not? flight. Get on a, no, get, take take my car. <laughs> can I yeah. drive from Missouri to Oklahoma? Yeah, sure. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah. What kind of car do you drive there? Um, I feel like you drive an old car. I don't know if I want to say, actually. I'm, oh, I'm it, a, oh, it's okay. I don't, you don't use I'm a bag in, here. I drive a BMW that I worked very hard for. Yes, you did. Yeah, that's right. I paid it off too. What mazel. Mm-hmm. The, the future governor of Oklahoma has paid <laughs> off his BMW. I paid it off. Um I really right now though want to get a, a like beater pickup truck. Got it. Um because I've been doing so in in my like spare time during the pandemic I've also been kind of like running a uh, underground like furniture flipping um <laughs> business You're living a life spare time what? my friend my friends and i would would go to like just random estate sales and vintage things around town and we would maybe like you know have a little fun <laughs> saturday morning and we just put on really good music and go around town and just find these pieces of furniture that are just i mean outrageously cheap and then we'd kind of flip them around and put them up on marketplace and Amazing. You know, it, it's insane. We bought a couch for $200 that same night, sold it for $900. Huh? Blair? Hey. Mm-hmm. Blair, you see this? This is what you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. That is the flip. <laughs> you know where we took that money? Where? So there's this dance club called Groovies <laughs> that only plays 80s music in Oklahoma City. Like median age clientele is definitely probably like 58. Um, oh. We went and bought the whole club drinks that night. <laughs> Said on us. Wow. Don't mind it. Yeah, and I that money went quick. And all yeah. you were doing was looking at your potential prospects. Just, you're just having fun. Because you end up at their estate sales, too, <laughs> flipping their furniture because they're on their way out. We're asking for business cards, yeah, for phone numbers. <laughs> Damn. Life is good in Oklahoma. I know. I'm living in Los Angeles, always thinking about where else I could live, and I think I found my new home. Oklahoma. Come on down. Oklahoma City. You got an extra bedroom? Yeah, I, I do, actually. I got go. a new address. There you go. Are okay. you about to form a throuple with Dan? Uh-huh. Maybe. You can <laughs> clean down. your house. I'm down. Yeah, I'm great at cleaning. Uh-huh. I'm a okay. great cleaner. And that rent check, I mean, first of the month. <laughs> Always on uh-huh. time. Yeah. We got a mortgage to pay now. <laughs> yeah, what, what kind of work are you going to do in Oklahoma? <laughs> we're going to flip We're gonna flip <laughs> couches. <laughs> they have radio <laughs> stations. Do you? Yeah. You have the radio in Oklahoma? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> we um, do watch you're gonna get blacklisted in oklahoma now because of that no i want to be on the radio uh-huh. in oklahoma city very badly uh-huh. we've been trying for a long time well we have the governor sitting right here i'm sure he could help yeah mm-hmm. please shake a few hands kiss a few babies I'll start making some calls thank you so much <laughs> um last question i had was are you gonna go back and visit ellen and send her off into the sunset on her final season no okay got it grace and chance everybody thank you so much <laughs> hang out That was the best way we could have ended that. (laughs) Have fun with that one, Twitter. (laughs) 
Hey, beautiful human, thanks for listening to our conversation with Grace and Chance. Let us know who you should talk to next at Zach Sang Show on any form of social media. Share this podcast with those you care about. Subscribe and please be safe. Hug your family if you can and don't go to jail. Have an amazing today. We'll talk to you soon. Peace and love.